Oh, community of faith, I'm so proud of you. What you're doing here and around the globe, I think that we're the most generous church I know that, that I know of, and I just love what you're doing. I wanted to talk to you a little bit today about just kind of the foundation of everything in a sense, because I was talking to some of you and you said, you know, you've encouraged us to really stretch ourselves and as we're given this best gift uh, at Christmas to Jesus, the birthday boy. And I'm just, my mind is so just frazzled and I, I can hardly even be able to sit down and, and, and hear from God what he wants me to do. So let's talk a little bit about that. How do we quiet your mind? How do you get your heart at rest? It's in Philippians chapter four. And we'll look at verses six to 13, just real quickly this morning. Verse seven, we have this huge Bible promise. It says, if you do these things, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts quiet and your heart at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. This verse is where we get that idea of the peace that passes understanding. It's a peace that's more wonderful than the human mind can even comprehend. When you're in a situation with total stress and chaos and, and yet your heart is at rest and your thoughts are quiet at peace, that's the peace that passes understanding. But some of you are thinking, you know, Paul wrote this, but Paul, you don't know what what I'm going through. You haven't been through what I'm going through. When Paul wrote this, he was chained to two Roman guards, one on each side. And he's waiting to go on trial for his life. He was eventually beheaded. He knew what was coming. And yet his thoughts were quiet. His heart was at rest. It's interesting because even in the original language, the Greek of the New Testament the word keep here, he'll keep, keep you. He'll keep your thoughts. He'll keep your heart. It, it literally means to stand guard over. I can imagine him with those two big guards on each side, standing guard over him. And he's thinking, that's what God's peace does. God's peace stands guard over your mind, over your heart. Wouldn't you like that? I know we need that in this, in this day and time. And it's interesting because there are about 7,000 promises in the Bible. And every one of those comes with a premise. You have a promise and a premise. You do this and God says, I'll do this. And you see the little premise there in that verse. It says, if you do these things, what things? Well, there's four things. Let me just go over them with you this morning. Number one, and you might wanna put this down somewhere. You can follow along on our church app. We've got the notes there for you. Choose prayer over worry. Listen to what it says in verse six. Never worry about anything. Instead, in every situation, let God know that you, what you need in your prayers and requests. Never worry about anything. It's interesting. This is a command form. That means that it's a command from God. Don't worry. If you do worry, then you're disobeying him. Is there any wiggle room in that verse? Don't worry about anything. No, 
but, but Mark, you know, what about, no, no, don't worry. That's what God says. Don't worry. The word worry actually comes from the old English word, which means to strangle or to choke. And that's what worry does. It chokes the life out of us, the spiritual life too. So what God's saying is stop talking to yourself all the time about what's stressing you out and flip that and start talking to God. You see, there's no reason to talk to yourself. You're not God. You can't do anything about it for the most part. But God can move. God can work. God can do things that you've never, ever expected. One of the things that I've noticed about worry when I think about it is kind of like practical atheism. You know, you say, I'm a believer, but we're worrying. It's like saying, there is no God. I don't have a heavenly father that cares about me. I don't, I have to figure this all out on my own and, and it's no different than the atheist would do. But listen to what God says. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is in Romans chapter eight, verse 32. It says this, since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he who gave us Christ also give us everything else we need? That's pretty powerful when you think about it because Think about what was your biggest issue? Getting next to God, going to heaven one day, being in God's presence right here because see, God is so holy, he can't even have sin in his presence and yet God wanted you, you to be his child so much. He loved you so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross and as he died on the cross and and, in our place, he took all of that, is due us on himself. And as we receive that and receive him and step into that, then that leaves us free to go to be with God. If he loved us so much that he would do that for us, that he would die for us, why are we so worried about our finances? Why are we so worried about our these things in our everyday life that, like, that God's not gonna take care of it? Jesus said that God even has every, hair on your head numbered. Now, for some of us, that's a little easier for him to number them than for others. But, but you know, it, it's, he, he knows how many hairs you, he knows the three hairs you left in the sink today. Numbers 45, 46, and, you know, 72. I don't know, but worry less. Instead of worrying, pray. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. So you just really... All you have to do is instead of talking to yourself and that self-talk that you have all the time, you flip that up and just start talking with God. Walk with him every day. Everything that comes along, you talk to him about it. Number two, choose gratitude over complaining. Look what it says in, in the end of verse six. It says, when you ask God for what you need, also thank him for what he's done. And this is so important because so many times we forget to thank him. You know, we ask for things, we we pray, God, would you do this? And and he does it and we forget to even go back and, and remember, you know, that he did it. Listen to this verse in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18 because people come to me all the time and they say, I just wish I could know God's will 
for my life. I'm gonna tell you God's will for your life right now. Are you ready? Here it is. This is from God. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything, give thanks. Now, you notice it doesn't say for everything, right? You don't say, Lord, thank you so much for Jeffrey Dahmer, the serial killer. You know, and that's not, that's not what he's, what he's saying is like, no, not, it's not for everything, but in the middle of everything, don't forget what God's done and what he's doing and what he's continuing to do. You cannot be at rest and be ungrateful at the same time. You know, I used to think my life was kind of like a series of hills and valleys because it kind of feels like that, right? But you get this, when you think of it that way, you start to think, if I can just get over this next hump, oh, it's got, you know what's on the other side of that hump? Another hump, right? You know, it's like, what's the deal with that? And I realized one day, oh, this hump right here, this is my life. And I, I realized that life is really more like railroad tracks. One side is all the good things that are happening. The other, the other rail is all the bad things that are happening. I mean, it happens at the same time, really. Even in the best times of your life, there's some things that are not going right. You're just not paying much attention to them, right? In the worst times of your life, there's some things that are going good. You're just not paying much attention to them. And so what it says here is like, pay attention to all the good things. Try to focus on the things that, that are so good. In fact, I think one of the ways you can do this really successfully is keep a gratitude journal. Some of the happiest people I know to keep gratitude journals and they write down all the blessings and all the things that God is doing for them. And they do it every single day. My wife does that. And she is, you know, and one of the things that turned our marriage around, she started doing a gratitude journal on me. You know, when things get really bad in marriage, you know, we, those first few years were pretty tough. And uh, I probably, you know, it probably was a struggle to find all the great things I was doing right, you know. But she would write those down and it began to change her mindset because when things are going rough in a marriage, you know, you start to focus on the negative. And you focus on all the negative aspects of your spouse. But when you start to look at the, the good things, it begins to move your thoughts and your mind. And God knew that. He says, don't forget to thank me. Don't forget to look and see all the good things that I'm doing in your life. Even in this time of your life, that might be the worst time that you've ever experienced. And then number three, he says, focus on God, not garbage. Look what it says in Philippians 4, 8. Fill your mind with those things that are true and good and right. Think about things that are pure and beautiful and respected. If anything is excellent or if anything is worthy of honor, think about those things. And it's so important that we realize that because that war with stress that we're fighting, it's not out there. That's not what's causing stress. What's causing stress is what's going on in here. There's some people with the exact same situation that you have and their heart is at rest and their mind is quiet. You say, no, that's impossible. They couldn't, no, it's not, no, it's true. That's because the war is in here. 
if you want to have quiet thoughts and a heart at rest, you're, you're going to have to start controlling what you focus on. And, you know, one of the things that I find when I talk to people sometimes, they don't realize this. It, I came to a realization some years ago, not everything you think is true. You know why? Because you are the thinker. Just because a thought comes into your mind doesn't mean that it's true. It doesn't even mean that it's important. It just means you had a thought. I like to think of it kind of like sitting by a peaceful stream. You know, psychiatrists tell us that we have about 50,000 thoughts a day. Some of you are thinking, well, my husband probably only has 8,000. Maybe so, but here's the thing. Those thoughts, they, they flip through your mind, but you don't grab hold of every single one of them. You've had four or five thoughts in the last couple of sentences even that I've been sharing with you. Some are kind of random. Some are like on task and on target, but you let a lot of them go. You know, I don't really like those red T-shirts, but that doesn't stick in your head. You know, I mean, it's not like now it is, but well, you're going, I love those red T-shirts, you know, but it, it doesn't matter because it's kind of, and then you just kind of let it go. Well, just imagine you're sitting by this peaceful stream and 50,000, it's fall, 50,000 beautiful multicolored leaves are falling down into the stream. You decide which ones you want to pick up and look at, or you can just let them float on down the stream, okay? Because you're the thinker. It's you that's thinking. It's not that thought, just because it came in your head, doesn't mean it's important. Just because it came in your head, doesn't mean it's from God. Could be. You reach down and pick that up and begin to look at it. I was talking to one gal, and, you know, one week I talked to her, and her marriage was amazing, and the next week her marriage was the worst marriage. And I, I realized she had picked up a lot of different thoughts and were looking at them. Depending on those two weeks, they were a lot really different, the thoughts. Notice the Bible gives us eight tests here of what thoughts we should pick up. It asks you questions. Is it true? That's a good thing to always ask. Is this true? We have so many vain imaginations in our mind, you know. Someone passes us out in the foyer out there, and you say, hey, and they don't even talk to you. And you don't realize they've got like a splitting headache, and they're just like, you know, trying to just make it. So, you, oh, they're so rude. You know, they're so, that, that's so mean. Is it true? Is it good? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it beautiful? Respected? Excellent? Worthy of honor? When you look at all of those, you know what that really is? That's a picture of God. It's really a picture of God. And that brings me to Isaiah 26.3, one of the verses that I claim all of the time in my life. It says this, you, Lord, will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you and whose thoughts are fixed on you. One of the great ways to have a quiet mind and a quiet, restful heart is to think about God all the time. Just think about God. Get your eyes off of your circumstances and wrench your thoughts and your mind up and focus on him. We just sang about him. He's bigger than I thought he was. He can do more than I 
was even thinking. I, I'm stuck in this situation. And I'm going round and round in circles. Look up. Look a little bit higher. This God who loves you, whose heart is for you, and who is so powerful and so strong and so able to intervene at any moment. If he's allowing something in your life right now, I promise you there's purpose in it, even if you can't see it. You can trust his heart for you and say, God, teach me in this, everything you want me to learn and get me out of this as soon as you can. The last one, choose contentment over coveting. This is such a big deal in America, contentment. Let's look at what Paul says, verses 11 and 12. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of contentment in every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, when I have more than I need or when I don't have enough. Now, Americans misunderstand contentment a lot of times. Contentment is not laziness. Contentment is not lack of ambition. Contentment is enjoying what you have right now, not waiting for the one day when I get this or I attain this or I'm able to afford this or this is my income or I'm married or I have kids or and we have this tendency to just kind of look out into the future while our whole life passes us by. But I think it's interesting because Paul says something really good here. I've learned to be content. It's not natural. I'm not naturally content. You're not naturally content. It's something you have to learn. Just like you have to unlearn worry and learn prayer, you have to learn to be content. Let me give you a couple of ways, a couple of ways to be content, ways to start learning. Number one, stop comparing. And this is so important because the source of all discontent is comparison. It, it just is. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament, it says Abraham lived, when he introduces us to Abraham, it says Abraham lived in the land of Ur, you are. It was a real place back then. Well, let me tell you something about America. America, too, is the land of Ur, but it's E-R. We're always striving for Ur. I mean, I want some Ur. I want to be skinnier, handsomer, you know, fitter. I, I, I want to be all of these things, smarter. And we have this tendency, I mean, like, I like you and everything, but I just want to have a little more Ur than you. You know, because if I have a little more er than you, then I feel good about myself. So you're good, but I'm good er. You see? And, and that's what we do. We have this, this, this sense of like, okay. And it gets even worse because when you start dating, then you want your boyfriend or girlfriend to have some er, right? You know, I mean, you want them to be rich er or skinny er or handsomer. Then you get married and you want everyone to notice how er your wife is or your husband is, right? The problem is 
we lie to ourselves. We tell ourselves, well, I just want my husband to reach his full potential. So I'm encouraging him to be more err. And we start erring them. Like, honey, you need to get a, a little err in this area and a little err here and a little err there and a little less err back there, unless you're Kim Kardashian or something. But it's like, you, you look at it, then you have kids. Look, what happens? Everybody else's kids are erring, you know? And my kids need to err, and, 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 and their kids skipped a grade, and my kids stayed back a grade. I don't know, but it's like, I need them to have a little more err. And then in sports, they're all playing club sports, you know? So I can't come to church anymore. I got to do club sports with the kids and, 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 and so they can be err. <laughs> I remember when Sarah, my middle daughter, was... She was like, I don't know, a little over a year old. And my sister had a, a, a son, Colby. He actually works on staff with us now. And he was just a, like a couple of months younger than Sarah. And my dad came to me and says, is Sarah talking? I said, oh, she's just babbling, you know. And he goes, well, Colby's talking. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah. I was walking, I was holding him in my arms and he pointed at this picture in my house of, and it was a Bible. And he goes, Bible. And I went, wow. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, is Sarah slow? What's the deal? You know, I need her to have a little more err, you know? I mean, a Bible, you know, trying to teach her to say stuff. And, and I went to my sister and I said, I can't believe Colby's talking. She goes, he's not talking. The only thing he can say is Bible. You know, how those kind of things make you feel so much better, right? But the bottom line you look one way and you think, ah, oh, I feel superior, er, right? You look the other way, oh, I'm feeling inferior, er. But the bottom line is there's no win in comparison. I mean, there's no sense of satisfaction. There's no finish line. But we live in the land of er. Look what the wisest man who ever lived in Proverbs 14:30, Solomon said, peace of mind makes the body healthy, but envy is like a cancer. The second thing we can do besides just not comparing ourselves is we can stop thinking that having more is better. Having more is better. That's, that's the American way, right? Having more. We're taught it by advertising all the time. Having more will make you more happy, more secure, more valuable. And then they say really quick, because death, because I remember, right? I was like, what is that mumbling there at the end? It's like, you said, cause death? I want to be a little more happier. I didn't want to die, you know? My wife read Matthew Perry's autobiography, you know, it's such a tragedy, finding him dead in his hot tub. And he lived this life that was a difficult, but you know, he's in, in there toward the end, he talks about one of his friends who nobody knows one of his friends growing up, and he said he has a real stable marriage, his good relationship with his wife, has some kids that love him. And Matthew Perry said, I would give it all in an instant to trade places with him. You know what it all adds up to? Nothing. It's not in the things that we have. And I think we, we get caught up in so many things, you know? We spend so much time 
on our looks, for example. But you know, I saw a study. If you're here, how many of you in here are 18 to 22? Raise your hand. Don't lie. I love you. And this is as good looking as you're ever going to be. That's it. I mean, I remember, I mean, it's going to go downhill eventually. You can hold it for a few years after that. But, you know, this is the best it's going to be. I mean, I remember at 18 walking by the mirror and getting, man, I am good looking. And you know what? I walked by the mirror the other day and I jumped and I thought I saw my grandpa Herod. I was like, what happened? You got that furniture disease, you know, where your chest falls into your drawers and you just wonder what, what happened? But Solomon, again, Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite verse, my favorite books, but Solomon, the wisest man, the richest man probably who's ever lived, says, I've been, I've been studying this. And he says this in Ecclesiastes 4, 6. As I studied all this, I found, and it is better to have one handful of peace than to have two hands full of hard work and a desire to catch the wind. I love the, the Hebrew imagery of that because in America, what are we doing? We're trying to grab with both hands, right? I, w- I want you to remember what Solomon said the next time that he said, I got to get that next deal. I know, you know, I know I need to spend time with my wife, but I'm going to get this. I got to get this first. Or I, I, I know I should be doing this with my kids, but here, here's what, and we're grabbing with both hands and you know, you, you've got both hands full and you're trying, he says, just chasing the wind. He said, yeah, you can have some good stuff. Hold on to it with one hand, but in the other one, open it up to God and just say, you can put in here or take out whatever you want. I trust you. I believe you. I mean, that's one way that you're able to give your best gift. You trust him. You'll take care of it. Stretch me. Show me. I want to make a difference in the lives of these little girls, these little boys around the globe. I want to see impact happen. It's better to have one hand open because with the two hands, there's never going to be peace. There's always going to be something that you haven't got yet. You're trying to get it, but your hands are already full. Just kind of let that thought settle down on you a little bit. It's chasing after the wind. Better. Better is one hand with peace than two hands chasing the wind. Well, how do we do this? You say, that's really nice advice, Paul. How do I never worry about anything? How do I pray about everything? How do I, you know, thank God in everything? How do I think about these good things? And how do I learn to be content? Takes us right back to the very first verse, verse seven. Remember what he said at the end of verse seven? He said, his peace will keep your thoughts quiet and your heart at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. It always comes back to trust. Do you know how good his heart is for you? Do you know how much you can trust him? You say, well, it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't look like it right now. I know sometimes it doesn't. That doesn't make it true. Is it true? Here's what's true. He loved you so much that he died for you. 
Won't he freely give you what you need? And then Paul closes this out with the last words my mom ever spoke as she died. He said, she said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Listen to how one version puts it, verse 13. I can be content in any and every situation through the anointed one who is my power and strength. Trust him. Community of faith, God is using you to change this broken world. He's using you to bring true justice, not just some kind of mouthed social justice, but true justice to the people of the world and right here at home. And I'm so proud of you. But he wants you to do it at rest. Would you just close your eyes? Some of you, this was exactly what you needed today. God knew that. God knew that for me. He wants to quiet your thoughts. He wants your heart to be at rest. Would you just say to him again, some of you are here, you've never stepped into this journey with him. You can say, I see that you died for me. I see that you love me. I know now that it's not an accident that I'm here this morning to hear this from you, God. I want to step into this journey with you. I receive what Christ did on the cross for me. I want you to be the boss, the Lord of my life. I want to start to live this way. And then those of us who are believers, maybe we've been living like practical atheists. Would you just say again to him, I trust you. I trust you. And begin to put these little things into practice. These four little ideas that Paul gave us. Because that's the practical outworking of trust. But it starts with that foundation. Lord Jesus Christ. You are so good. You are so loving. We don't even understand why you would humble yourself. And want relationship with us. But you do. Help us, teach us to trust your heart. Help us to move our language from talking to ourselves, that inner voice, to talking with you about everything. Because you care and you're interested and you're here. And you're the only one that can move mountains and work miracles. And you're the only one that knows what you're doing in us as you're making us into all you want us to be so that we can rule and reign with you forever. That's what you said you made us for. You said the angels aren't going to rule and reign. You are human beings, my children that I've made in my image will sit on my throne and rule and reign with me. And we learn how to do that here in boot camp through the things that we suffer. Come kingdom of God upon us. Be done will of God over us and let nothing 
stop what you want to do in this best gift offering, in our lives, in our families, in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for being here today. If you haven't yet picked up one of these best gift booklets, please pick one up on the way out. Take it home. Read more of the stories of what your best gift offering has been doing this year. You'll see the commitment card. I would ask you to please take that home, pray over it, ask God what he wants your part to be. Um, This week, our offices are closed. We won't have any of our usual Wednesday night activities from students, prayers, groups, meeting. Um, We just wish you guys a very happy Thanksgiving, and we'll see you next weekend. Happy Thanksgiving. Love you guys.